Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy, brothers and sisters. This is another podcast episode with Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. I'm glad you are here with us this day. Um, Grace and peace be unto you uh, as we uh, are closing in on the month of July. And of course, with the month of July, we have a special, unique American uh, holiday that we call the 4th of July or the celebration of the Declaration of Independence. So I thought... um, I might address that um, from a biblical and historical perspective and uh, to just kind of revisit this document that in many ways not only changed our nation, but had a huge impact uh, upon other nations. And uh, so I thought it would be worthwhile to go through the Declaration of Independence and see what truths we can glean um, that, again, that has had an incredible historical impact upon the fortunes of peoples, not only in America, but throughout the world. Now, in saying that, obviously, we have gone far from the Father's house. Uh, For the most part, Americans don't know our founding documents anymore. And if we use them, we tend to use them for our own political agenda instead of being concerned about the welfare of our nation or our people. And, um, you know, somebody said the quickest way to destroy a people is to sever their root or their roots. And, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of our American history has been revised. It's been rewritten And it's caused a lot of harm, a lot of harm uh, to America's experiment with liberty. So I think it'd be worthwhile to maybe rediscover this document and how important it truly is, uh, especially when it comes to the future and hope of our children and grandchildren. And I do want to say up front that a lot of the warnings uh, in the Declaration of independence concerning uh, government um, has come to pass uh, in our days. In other words, the very government um, we have right now is a lot of what our founding fathers warned against. And um, so it's probably pretty important that we understand this document and not only what it means Uh, as we glean from the past, but even as it relates to our future and our hope. So I'm going to start off with Isaiah chapter 51, verses 1 and 2, and lay that sort of as the biblical foundation as we explore the Declaration 
of independence. God's word states, hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock whence you are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are dinged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bear you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. So in other words, if you are truly seeking righteousness, if you are truly seeking the Lord, then you have to understand a little bit where you came from. You know, who were the folks involved that established uh, a nation? In this case, speaking of Israel, uh, God is saying, hey, if you're, you're seeking righteousness, if you're seeking me, you really need to know Abraham and you really need to know Sarah because I, I called him and I, I blessed them and I increased him. And so to a certain degree, this is why the study of history, his story, God's story, his redemptive, you know, plan through the eon of time, you know, through his covenant people are so critically important, especially if you want to, you know, see uh, righteousness and justice established in the land. You've got to remember, there's a huge blessing when it comes to righteousness and nations because righteousness exalts a nation but sin is a reproach to any people and some of the fruits of living a righteous life that's a gift from god uh that is bestowed upon those who put their faith and trust in christ i uh, mean there is some huge cultural and national blessings that come there's there's security, there's rest, there's assurance, there's uh, stability, there's peace. Uh, these are some of the incredible fruits uh, when a nation uh, seeks to be a righteous nation. And so, yeah, so we, we, we're definitely going to continue to look to Abraham and to Sarah um, because that's, you know, the biblical pattern that God has laid out. But it's also important that we understand those who have gone before us, who established the United States of America. And so when it comes to like celebrating this most American of holidays, uh, it's interesting to note that our founding fathers did not consider the 4th of July just another holiday. Um, no, it was much more to them. They, this, this day re represented far more than just another festival to acknowledge in the myriad of special days Americans honor. And, and by the way, I think we, we overdo it in that regard. I mean, we are just coming up with special day after special day. And, you know, it comes to the point that no day is special anymore. Uh, because we're overdoing it, at least I think we're doing overdoing it. But anyway, according to John Adams, uh, the second president of America, he considered the Fourth of July not just um, a holiday, holiday, but really a holy day. And this is what he stated: 
He said the 4th of July ought to be commemorated, listen, as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. And so in some uh, way, uh, they had a, like a similar view to Israel, like when it came to Passover, right? They, that they were to celebrate the Passover, you know, as the beginning of their deliverance, right? The, that God's going to break the bondage of Egypt, and he's going to bring them out with a mighty hand, and he's going to, you know, bring them into the promised land and establish them, you know, as his peculiar special people in the earth, right? And that, you know, this should create in them this devotion, right, to Almighty God for his great deliverance. And so John Adams believed, you know, Independence Day was to be like a holy day, uh, to be spent in thanksgiving to the Almighty for his mighty deliverance that he wrought on the behalf of our fledging nation. And, and I don't have time to go through this right now, but, you know, 56 men signed the Declaration of Independence, and we really didn't have no standing army, no, no navy to speak of, uh, and we were taking on the, like, the number one superior, you know, military might in the world. Um, and the fact that uh, we overcame and won our independence. It, it really is a miraculous intervention from heaven. And both sides knew it, by the way. You, you can study the writings of the American soldiers and the writings of the English soldiers. Even the, the Brits understood, yeah, God is fighting on the side of Americans. And I don't have time to go through all those stories, but it really is... Uh, a miraculous deliverance. There was no way on earth that our fledgling nation should take on the number one world power and prevail. And so our founding fathers understood that. And so they thought when it came to the 4th of July, that instead of like doing fireworks and picnics and, you know, barbecues, we, we should go to church. Uh, we should get on our knees. We should thank the Lord. Um, for delivering us and making us an independent and free nation amongst the nations of the earth. And um, John Quincy Adam, uh, this is John Adams' son. Uh, it, it's interesting that John Adams and John Quincy Adams, uh, George Bush Sr. and George Bush Jr. are the only... Uh, two father and son teams that became president of the United States of America. So John Adams was our second president. John Quincy Adams was our sixth president. And he is an interesting guy. I mean, he, uh, at 14 years of age, he was a diplomat representing American interests in Russia. At 14 years of age, uh, yeah, kids back then were raised a whole lot different than the way kids are raised today. Their maturity level was astronomical. Um, 
but anyway, he was he was quite a young man, and uh, there's a lot to him. I wish I could do a whole series just on John Quincy Adams. But anyway, this is what he declared about the Declaration of Independence, and this is so missing from our perspective, even amongst Christian Americans. He says this, why is it that next to the birthday of the Savior of the world, your most joyous and most venerated festival returns on this day? Speaking of the 4th of July. Now, by the way, he is, he is giving this speech 50 years after the Declaration of Independence was written. He was the last uh, one of the few remaining founding fathers alive, and they asked uh, him to speak about the 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 connection uh, to the Declaration of Independence, to the birth of our nation. And so he he goes and he makes this incredible statement. He says, "Is it not that in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation?" is indissolubly linked to the birthday of the Savior. So he's saying, you know, for most Americans, the two greatest holidays that we celebrate is Christmas, the birth of the Savior, and the 4th of July, the birth of our nation. And he's saying they're indissolubly linked, like there is a direct connection between the birthday of the Savior and the birth of this nation. Again, most Americans and most Christian Americans would never connect those dots. I just want you to know, John Quincy Adams, our sixth president, did connect those dots. This was his view that it forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation. He says, is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon earth, that it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This man actually believed that America was the product of 1800 years of the gospel moving westward. Go west, Paul. Go to Macedonia, Paul. Go west. And then 1,800 years as the gospel progressed, a nation was birthed and its base, listen, upon the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission. Who is the Redeemer of mankind? Well, I got great news for you. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what makes it so special, the birth of the Savior with the birth of this nation? It indissolubly links human government with the precepts of Christianity. What an amazing perspective. 
He, he, he said in another quote, he believed the highest glory of the revolution permanently linked the principles of Christianity with the principles of civil government. That's why America was such a game changer. America destroyed the divine rights of kings. It, it, it came up with the concept that, you know, it is the governed, right? who chooses those who will govern them. I mean, it's an amazing turnaround. It, 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 it's, it's turned upside down the way nations and men govern themselves for millenniums. I mean, it was a radical departure from the tyranny and the oppression that most men knew where they were born, where they lived, and where they died. And so it's, it's, this is, there's this incredible connection that uh, John Quincy Adams uh, is trying uh, to make. And, of course, uh, this perspective is it's, we, we just don't have this perspective today. And, by the way, it is causing much harm uh, to us as a people. Well, there is other evidence that points to the fact that America um, is a unique nation among the nations of the earth. I mean, if you just look at the land itself, uh, it seems to dictate that it was preserved for a special purpose in God's providence. I mean, America, it's prime real estate. I mean, it's filled with all kinds of natural resources, and yet uh, it remained virtually untapped for thousands of years. I mean, think of that. I mean, most men go where, you know, the resources are at. But you don't see, like, the pyramids of Egypt in the history of America. You don't see the glory of Rome. You don't see the grandeur of peace, you know, Greece upon these shores, right? Um, it was, you know, basically, you know, Native Americans and living off the land. And I, and I get that. Um, but if you take in the context, I mean, the... The mineral resources and the, I mean, the the beauty uh, of America and its water supply and oil and gems and precious stones and you know most of the things that men value. I mean, this land is bountiful. It's plentiful. Uh, yet you don't see men coming here in droves, uh, trying to you know. Uh, explore it, discover it, uh, build upon it, you know, you don't see it. It's been, it was pretty much untapped for thousands and thousands of years, except when it came to a peculiar people, uh, which we call, you know, the pilgrims. And um, they came over to this new world with an open book advanced the kingdom of God upon these shores, and they wanted to do it free from government interference. And um, it's interesting, those that came with the open book, the Bible, they were allowed uh, to settle here. And believe me, there was other uh, empirical nations that were trying to settle here, you know, Spain and, and uh, France and other nations, but they were the people of the closed book, right? They had the Bible chained to their pulpits in languages the common people didn't understand, right? No, it was reserved for 
a people with an open book that would come uh, specifically to worship the Lord God in spirit and in truth, right? And um, and that's when you know, and I and I know there's a, you know there's there's a lot of struggle there, and and how you know eventually Americans uh, treated the Indians, and there were atrocities, brothers and sisters, and you, and you do have to understand when. A, when uh, the pilgrim forefathers came over here and the foremothers, you know, especially uh, in Plymouth, they had a great relationship with the Indians. But you have to understand when 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 the first pilgrims came over, it was a mixed bag. That's why they had to come up with the Mayflower Compact to determine how they were going to government themselves right uh, upon these new shores. Uh, but you have to understand there there was not just pilgrims who were Christians and, you know, who loved God and wanted to love their neighbor as themselves. But you also had adventurers, you had gold seekers, you had sailors, you know what I mean? You had pagans, right, uh, who didn't have the same transcendent, you know, reason and purpose to come to America, you know. And so, you know, there, there was always those elements you know, mixed in with Christianity as, as you know, America took shape and took form, you know what I mean? And there is no nation that's a perfect nation. I mean, we've had our warts, right? We've, we've committed our national sins and abominations. Um, but through it all, you know, God has kept us up to this point. And that's another, <laughs> that's another broadcast for another time, whether or not we will survive uh, what's going on in these days. But you get my point that, that this, it seems like the land itself was preserved for a specific purpose, you know, in the Lord, in the earth, you know, the city set on a hill, you know, a light to the nations, right? Uh, a lot of the Christian you know, brothers and sisters who went before us, they believe that. I mean, when they were coming to the new world, they were like saying this is their sort of uh, new promised land, like their Jerusalem, right? Um, that, that's, that's how they viewed it. Uh, you know, they, they truly believed it, you know, and, um, and that sparked so much purpose and so much destiny uh, in the heart uh, of Americans uh, through the years, right? And so, Another interesting mark upon uh, America was uh, America is like one of the only nations on earth that was founded on a creed. And that creed is the Declaration of Independence. Like you look at all the other nations on the earth, most of them, they were established, you know, based upon ethnicity, nationality, or race. Uh, not so with America. It doesn't make a difference what your skin color is. It doesn't really, or any other physical attribute that distinguishes human beings. What makes an American an American is a creed, and that creed is articulated in the document we call the Declaration of Independence. So we're going to start to get into some vital points of this creed, and uh, before I do, we need to understand that the Constitution, you know, is what we consider the letter of the law. And believe me, that letter of the law, it's been twisted, bent, and perverted through judicial activism to subject Americans to legalized evil today. But whereas the Constitution is the letter of the law, 
The declaration is the spirit of the law. It's just like in the scriptures, right? The Old Testament, the letter of the law, the New Testament, the spirit of the law, right? The spirit that gives life, right? Uh, as opposed to the ministry of death, right? And so the declaration, this is what supplies the premises, the presuppositions, and the underlying principles that we have forgotten. Listen to the Constitution's harm. You will see this clearly as we examine a few of those foundational principles contained within the Declaration. But the Declaration was to be the heart, soul, and source to establish and sustain our Christian Republic called America. So, on July 2nd, 1776, uh, our founding fathers actually published it on July 4th, but they actually signed it on July 2nd. Uh, the delegates of the Continental Congress voted to ratify the Declaration, which began with these profound words. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitles them. Now, it's extremely important to understand, and this cannot be emphasized enough, our founding fathers cited the laws of nature and nature's God as the basis for breaking ties with England and to become a separate nation in the earth. Now, to comprehend the magnitude of that phrase utilized by Thomas Jefferson and other writers of the Declaration, you have to look to Sir William Blackstone, who was the first one to coin the phrase. So, Sir William Blackstone, he, he's the renowned English jurist, and he wrote the highly influential work called Commentaries on the Laws of England. And he was one of the most quoted sources. Now, the most quoted sources when it came to the government of the United State, States is the Bible. We have to understand that. Like I think it was like 34% of all quotes relating government uh, came from the Bible. But then you had three other human sources. One of them is Sir William Blackstone. The other is John Locke. And the third is Baron de Montesquieu. And they all cited these sources to come up with the basis of law in the United States of America. And so this is how Blackstone defined the laws of nature and of nature's God. Now, he, he actually had the laws of nature and the law of revelation. So Thomas Jefferson didn't complete the entire phrase. Uh, he exchanged the law of revelation with nature's God. But understand, Thomas Jefferson put that quote in, and he got it from William Blackstone. And this is what William Blackstone stated. Man, considered as a creature 
must necessarily be subject to the laws of his creator, for he is entirely a dependent being. So interesting. We call it the Declaration of Independence. But I am telling you, brothers and sisters, our founding fathers were completely dependent upon Almighty God. In fact, that was one of their flags that they waved in battle, an appeal to heaven, right? We've exhausted all means. We've, we have remonstrated. We have gone to England for 10 years. We've pleaded our case, and they keep doubled down on tyranny and oppression. And so we appeal to God. We appeal to heaven, right? And consequently, as man depends absolutely upon his maker for everything, it is necessary that he should in all points conform to his maker's will. This will of his maker is called the law of nature. These laws laid down by God are the eternal, immutable laws of good and evil. The law of nature dictated by God himself is, of course, superior in obligation to any other. It is binding all over the globe, in all countries, and at all times. No human laws are of any validity if contrary to this. The doctrines thus delivered we call the revealed or divine law. They are to be found in the Holy Scriptures. So he's given two bases for law here, right? The law of nature that comes with men's conscience, where God has written his law upon our hearts, where we know good and evil. And because of sin, um, you know, conscience with knowledge, we sin with conscience. We know what is good. Um, but we tend to do what is evil. But that is the law of nature. And he's saying that is one basis for law, but then he said there's another basis for law, and he said that's only found in the Holy Scriptures. He says upon these two foundations, the law of nature and the law of revelation, and again, Thomas Jefferson Paine and nature's God as a substitute for the law of revelation. He says, upon these two bases of law depend all human laws. That is to say, no human laws should be suffered to contradict these. So this is how we came up in redemptive history that any law that violated God's law was no law at all. And again, we have forgotten that in these days, especially amongst those who should know better, which are Christians who live in this nation. So according to Blackstone, who was the inspiration behind the laws of nature and of nature's God statement, the creation itself testifies and teaches man that there's a supreme being that created the universe. The immutable law contained within nature 
reveals a creator that man is subject to by virtue of being a dependent creature. Apparently, Blackstone was a jurist who studied the only sure basis for law, which is holy writ. Both Romans 1.20 and Psalms 19.1-3 verifies his writings. And you can look that up. In other words, there's natural, general revelation uh, that reveals there's a creator. That's why man is without excuse. But it takes the law of revelation to reveal who the true and living God is. And that is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God of the Bible. So even though, you know, Blackstone believed in natural general revelation, he also believed, though man had reasoning capabilities, it had been made corrupt by sin. And so the Lord did not leave revelation to chance. And this is where Blackstone makes a direct appeal to mankind through what Blackstone called the law of revelation, in which the declaration interprets of nature's God. And of course, this, this direct appeal is through God's, you know, holy word, through, you know, his commandments, his moral laws. And this was God's way of appealing to man objectively to confirm with what within man what he instinctively knows to be true on the inside. And so due to man's fallen nature, we inevitably suppress that truth uh, and exchange it for a life. But undeterred in God's great mercy, he set the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the most perfect revelation, and therefore we are without excuse. So God has given us creation. Uh, he has given us his holy word, his commandments, because he knows that even though we know he exists, you know, we suppress that truth and unrighteousness, um, we ignore uh, his word, um, we do all these things, and so what does God do? Uh, he sends his son, okay, which is the perfect, visible representative of the invisible God, okay? And, um, and so we, we see this, right? We see this in the scriptures, and it's so interesting that, in a sense, the Declaration of Independence uh, is coming into agreement with these biblical truths. Because the Bible teaches that Jesus is the expressed image of God. He was the Word, right? God's direct revelation to man made flesh, and he dwelt among us. You know, Jesus st stated, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, Jesus was the visible manifestation of the invisible God. Now, according to Blackstone, unless laws were based upon these truths, they were not laws at all, and no human law should be suffered to contradict these. These, brothers and sisters, these things are so critical. 
when it comes to their future and hope of passing on liberty and freedom to our posterity. So, our next stop along the way as we explored the Declaration is we hold these truths to be self-evident. Now, can you believe in this moral relevant relevant excuse me oh i'm going to butcher this relativistic age in which we live uh that our founding fathers had the audacity to believe in a concept called truth now truth by its very nature lends itself completely to the notion that there are moral absolutes Obviously, our founding fathers would be laughed to scorn today if they brought that archaic view to our enlightened, humanistic public schools. We do not teach children that there's such a thing as self-evident truth. We don't teach them moral absolutes, that there's a definite right or a definite wrong. No, we teach kids to decide for themselves what is right or wrong, with no standard except what their own unregenerated hearts crave. As a result, millions of American children are left to construct their own truth and values apart from the God of the Bible. Can there be any doubt that this mentality has opened the proverbial Pandora's box that is savaging our young today? School shootings, gangs, violence, confusion, sexual immorality, molestation, and drug abuse are a direct result of our nation rejecting the time-honored wisdom of our founding fathers. Our founding fathers believed in self-evident truth, not based upon the subjective experience of fallen men, but on God's objective truth that is transcendent and authoritative over men. Yes, they believed in truth because they longed for freedom. They knew biblically you cannot have freedom without truth. Well, where would they obtain such a notion? Well, John 8, 31, 32 records, Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. Now keep in mind, freedom to them is not the same thing what we consider freedom today. See, freedom for them was not the ability to do whatever you wanted to do when you wanted to do it, but the power to do as we ought. The freedom to do what was right. Self-government was and remains the key to liberty. Brothers and sisters, if we don't put the gospel chain and restrain the beast from within us, we would not have the moral fortitude to chain the beastly instincts of civil government. Civil government is bent towards tyranny and oppression, and our founding fathers knew that. George Washington, he said, Civil government is not eloquence. It is force. It is, it is deadly like a fire. It's a cruel taskmaster. It's a dangerous servant and a cruel taskmaster. Man, they, they, 
when they gave us the Declaration and the and the Constitution and the, the Bill of Rights, it was to put the chain on civil government. And we have lost that understanding today. But it's so important when it comes to freedom and when it comes to liberty, right? He said, um, you know, and so we're going to go on to the, the next important phrase contained in the Declaration and it goes something like this. That all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say man evolved into equality or by virtue of evolution has secured unalienable rights. Why is it our founding fathers believed in creationism and yet we can't teach this history to our children. Well, ideas have consequences, my friend. And we must understand evolution has been the intellectual underpinnings of every atheistic totalitarian government that has committed unspeakable atrocities against the very people they claim to serve. Communism, Nazism, Fascism are just a few of the regimes that rejected the concept of a creator. Our founding fathers refused to do that. Is there a difference between the nations that embrace evolution and the nations that embrace creation? Study history. It will tell you the truth. So, you know, these other nations, you know, they opted for the evolutionary worldview. And they did it so they could justify their atrocities, right? Their bloody history aptly displays the bitter fruit of the atheistic state that utilizes evolution to rationalize oppression. After all, evolution teaches that the strong survive. So it must be ethical to exploit, abuse, and destroy the weak to get what we lust for in life, right? No. A thousand times no. We see this mentality so clearly manifest with the struggle over abortion. You have fallen men at times that use and abuse women by virtue of their superior strength. Right? The strong survive. In like manner, feministic women demand to be empowered as well. So, we decriminalized child sacrifice in the United States of America. And what that allow women to do? Well, now they can use their superior strength against their own helpless children. These ideas, these thoughts, these ideologies, these worldviews, war against the knowledge of God, right? And part of the spiritual warfare is that we're to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We're to lasso these foreign, alien, demonic thoughts and bring them into subjective Subjection to Christ, right? So Christianity, on the other hand, what, what do we teach? We teach that the strong are there to help the weak. We are never permitted by God to exploit the weak. This biblical concept is one of the reasons that made America great. How many times has America invested our blood, treasure, and toil to aid weaker nations that were subjected to tyranny? by stronger nations. What has happened to Americans since, since we've officially rejected our creator? 
that our founding fathers looked to as the basis of establishing America as an independent nation among the nations of the earth. Well, pretty much what we fought against in World War II, we, we are now becoming, right? We just seem hell-bent on using our superior strength, political clout, and finances to spew the filth of Hollywood, abortion, the feminist doctrine, the homosexual agenda, the transgender movement, and we're just going to spread it around the globe. To a certain degree, you can understand maybe why Islam considers America the great Satan and seeks our destruction. Well, the declaration proceeds with these words, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Please get that last part. It's not a guarantee of happiness that the Marxists, the progressives, the Democrats are seeking to implement. It's not a guarantee of happiness with their government as savior programs. No, it's a pursuit of happiness. And that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Our founding fathers believed that man's rights came from God, the Creator, and that civil government was established to protect those rights. This is the clear teaching of Romans 13.1, which states, Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained by God. Historically, America's, Americans believe that we were one nation under God. In fact, our national motto is in God we trust. It was not one nation under many gods, but the one true and living God, the God of the Bible. When mankind rejects this biblical truth of God's sovereignty, man has only two failed options available. First, the state is sovereign and the ultimate authority, which historically has led to the murderous regimes previously mentioned that has crushed the freedoms, lives, and property of millions of people. In fact, in the 20th century alone, we have seen massacre upon massacre based upon this monstrous lie. The second option is man as an individual is sovereign which inevitably leads to anarchy, chaos, and confusion. We have to understand only one nation under God can secure the delicate tension between, the, between a just social order on one hand and maximum individual freedom on the other. No other worldview can do this. All of them is just sinking sand and cisterns that can't hold water. So indeed, God is the supreme authority, and civil government is a delegated authority established for His glory and our benefit. The Declaration then warns that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government. Now, this 
particular phrase is why we are crying out for a gentle revolution. Either America experiences a spiritual, godly, and moral revolution that lands us squarely back upon the rock from which we were hewn, or I shudder to think of what is awaiting us, what will befall us. Well, finally, our founding fathers make their appeal to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions with a firm reliance and protection on divine providence we mutually pledge to each other our lives our fortunes and our sacred honor in the declaration the god of the bible is acknowledged four times he's acknowledged as lawgiver he is the source of law he's acknowledged as creator the source of life he's acknowledged as the supreme judge the highest authority in the earth, and he's acknowledged as the protector of American rights. Without this revelation beating in the heart of every true American, then yeah, all the 4th of July represents is eating and drinking and watching fireworks. I pray that each of you that listen to this podcast, you will consider these historical truths and their implications. They represent the foundation upon which America once stood. We must awaken and recognize that these foundational truths are crumbling as we abandon God, our righteous heritage, and the principles that made us a great nation amongst the nations of the earth. As I stated, our history is being deleted or rewritten to further the foes of our own American household's agenda. We must therefore look to the rock that hewed us and the patriarchs that bore us before it is too late. God save America and no king but King Jesus. Well, brothers and sisters, that is the end uh, of this podcast episode. Um, I pray it was enlightening to you. I uh, pray you gained uh, maybe some historical knowledge and understanding. And as always, I want to encourage you to keep pressing on to that high call and prize. And until next time, God bless you, saints. In Jesus' name, bye-bye. <laughs>